You are listening to More Human, the show where we share the stories that encourage leaders to make their businesses and organizations more human. I'm your host, Jeremy Newlick. On a random day in 2001, my friend got on a bus to his part-time gig in Portland. It was a day like most others in Portlandia, gray and dreary. And as he found his spot on the bus, he was approached by another passenger who had a curious look on his face. And this happened to my friend pretty often. It's become an almost daily thing. The other passenger walks up to him and says, hey man, what's with the name tag? And my friend tells the guy that he never takes off his name tag. Yeah, never. Nope, no, not even then. That is even tattooed on his person. Now naturally, the passenger wants to know why. Again, something my friend is used to hearing. Oh, I, I wear this thing all the time to create a more approachable sort of space, my friend says. It makes people more willing to open up and share. I actually just wrote a book about it. And the fellow passenger is compelled by this reasoning. He's really interested in the book. He hands my friend his business card. And my friend never sees that guy again. Weeks later, my friend receives a phone call from the lifestyle editor of the Portland Tribune. Turns out the passenger on the bus was her boyfriend. And she wants to ask my friend a few questions, maybe do a little story. Within a week, my friend's smiling face is on the cover of the lifestyle portion of the Tribune. And there he is, a 20-something, standing there wearing his name tag. Within a month, he's being interviewed by Anderson Cooper on CNN. And under his face on the screen are three words, name tag wearer. Fast forward a few years, he is on 2020, The Today Show, and NPR. He's highlighted in Entrepreneur Magazine, USA Today. And as days go by, he's making his living, essentially wearing a name tag. He goes on to publish multiple books across personal, professional development topics. He speaks to hundreds of thousands of people in corporate and organizational leadership. Even as a TED Talk, he writes, creates, and performs rock operas, publishes meditative guides, counsels entrepreneurs on their inventions, launches a multimedia onslaught, all from wearing a damn name tag. Now this may seem silly to you, like something out of a Seinfeld episode, and it seems that way because it is. Nearly 20 years of wearing a name tag every day, and that's how you make your living. I mean, only in America, right? But something fundamental to understand about my friend, Scott, is that by putting his name out there, he essentially put himself out there. And that has accelerated his life in ways that would otherwise be invisible. And as a result of some silly decision he made as a college student, he's gathered an understanding of human beings that is as complex and layered as his own artistic expressions. He has tested out what it really means to be human. It is in pursuit of those insights that we gave Scott a call. And from his home in Brooklyn, we started where a lot of talks start with Scott. How many days has it been? So it's been 18 years, 6,425 days. I imagine uh, over that span of time, I mean, there's no way to, to run like a, you can't, you don't have a control group for, for your life, you know, unfortunately. So you wouldn't know what your life would be like had you not 
done such a thing for so long, but I would imagine that the complexity of uh, human experience you've had has been um, maybe much more sort of diverse than what most people have had mm -hmm. as a result of your decision. You know, yeah. I mean, have you right. ever played with scenarios of like, what would your life be like had you not started doing the thing? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I suppose the control group is age zero to age 20, because that's, <laughs> sure. that's sure. when I was not wearing it. So, I mean, in a perfect world, in an alternative universe, same person, no name tag from age 20 to age 40, then it would be a proper, you know, control group. But <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I, that's really the only thing I can do. I mean, very soon I will have worn a name tag more years than I will have not worn it which will be interesting to get to that point. So all I can really do is like, I can really just compare it to how I felt prior to it. And I, I think the big, you know, to use the term of, of your podcast, the big human thing behind it is prior to wearing it, I, I didn't feel seen in the way I do now. And the way that it instantly, the moment I put it on and then still to this day, not every time, but a lot of the time people see me differently um, for better or for worse, but I, I also see them differently. And I, I think that's the big thing, man. There's something about, there's something very quantum physics about it. Like the whole idea of the observer effect that um, particles only come into existence when they are witnessed. Mm -hmm. There's something mm -hmm. really beautiful and really human about that. And that, to me, that is the, the biggest difference and, and i'm not sure i really realized that until maybe year 16. it's not just wearing a name tag obviously you um like quant quantify if you can the amount of sort of uh you know, the, the, the work you have done as a result of the decision, you, you began publishing, you began writing, you've published, I don't know how many days in a row. I'm sure it's in, insane. Yeah. And you've written a number of books. You embark on all kinds of projects. Um, was the catalyst for a lot of this? Well, two questions. First is like, can you quantify some of those? I'm sure you can, you tend to focus on that. And secondly would be, you know, you know, to what degree is the name tag the catalyst for setting all that emotion? Sure. I mean, yeah, I can quantify it. Probably by the time this podcast comes out, it will be different. That's just how much stuff I put out there. I can't help myself. Um, so there's like 38 books. There's not eight musical albums. There's three movies, blah, blah, blah. I can go on and on, you know, measuring my writing dick if you really want me to. But, I, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. And What's I, what I'm proud of is that the name tag certainly allowed me to have a thematic sequence around what I was creating and a brand that tied it together. But this was not a new thing. Um, I mean, I, I've always been a really prolific guy. Um, I mean, it's kind of insane, but like I, I put out an album when I was 18 because I've been playing music for a long time. My first album was a double album. That's insanity. <laughs> like who who is pretentious enough to do that? Like it wasn't even, <laughs> it wasn't even that good. But you know what? Like I always say, it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be yours. 
So it's interesting. It was mine. That's all I cared about. I owned it. I made it. I don't care if anyone listened to it. I, it was for me. And, and that was years before I even wore a name tag. I mean, that's something that's really compelling about, you know, uh, that, that I don't want to get too metaphysical necessarily, mm-hmm. but it would be, um, you know, I wonder what preceded the name tag that, I mean, because I, I think it would be easy for a lot of people to say, well, this seems like a really, like, could it get more shallow than dude wearing a name tag? But it seems like, you know, I mean, and, and you could probably argue that, or I'm sure that you may have heard things like it. But I think that, you know, what's interesting is that there had to be something that preceded, there was some notion you had or some journey you thought you were going to take, right? That led to, this is a fun experiment. Why would you even be like, you know, open to something like that unless, unless you thought there might be something in it for you? Well, I was, when I started doing this, I was just incredibly lonely and isolated uh, because of, of my own volition. And for the first two years of college, it was lonely. Like I had some friends and, but I really struggled with it. Um, I had a long distance girlfriend the first year and a half of college, huge mistake (laughs) and, and alienated myself and really struggled with that. And so to, to be able to wear a name tag randomly one day and realize that um, all of a sudden I'm not lonely anymore. I'm like, why would I ever not do this? It's hard to characterize, I think, for a lot of people, I would imagine, and you imagine you've run into this, it's hard to characterize like who you are. Um, and I mean this in a really good way yeah. because you know, you've you have done and accomplished many things. It seems like you've had multiple lifetimes. Yeah. Um, you know, in ter- like just because most people before age 40 haven't published as many books as they have years on the planet. Mm. They haven't made movies that they didn't give a shit whether or not people liked or not. Right. They haven't, you know, lived in this sort of way. And so I do wonder, <laughs> like, I do wonder how it is you typically introduce who you are. Here's what's cool about this is that not every part of your life has to know about every other part of your life. Right. They don't need to know. They don't have to know. They probably don't want to know. Great example is, you know, my wife and I are, are part of this yoga community. We're, we're, um, we volunteer there. We work there. Um, you know, we're, we're a big part of the, you know, the program and, and we do yoga there too. And I mean, I see people every single day that, that they know nothing about me, but, but we, we talk all the time. We have this nice connection over like mutual suffering and sweat and we know each other's names and we talk about yoga, but, but that's it. And it's really great. It's nice to have this. I don't, I don't need to know everything about you. I don't need to ask you. So what do you do? Like who cares? So there's something really beautiful about that. And then, you know, I'm, I, I have a full-time job at a work at a place called the metric collective. And it's a startup of about 30 people. And there's plenty of people here that, um, that will never listen to this podcast and, um, Never know about it. Right. And they, they know I wear a name tag because I've seen them every day at work, but they, they probably are never going to see my TED Talk. And I'm totally fine with that because when I'm here, I'm focused on being 
the person I need to be here to, to, to be useful for everyone on the team and to, to be that person. So I, I like being more than one thing. I think that people almost need permission to be more than one thing because it, it sounds like the thing that our, our parents and teachers told us that we should focus and we should uh, pick, specialize, we, right? We should pick a major. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I minor in everything. That's, that's my thing. I like to minor in stuff and I, it's okay to do that. So in terms of how I introduce myself to people, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I just say, if it's work, I'll just say writer because it's the easiest thing to say that has the fewest follow-up questions. <laughs> It's just great. It's, and your years of human dynamics and wearing a name tag and really opening yourself to other people and being part of a community, the answer you give is the one that provides the fewest like possible questions as follow-ons. Well, That's great. Yeah. And and <laughs> part of that is just because I don't want to get into it. It's, you know, if someone says, what do you do? Like, what would I rather say? Like, conversation a i say, oh, I'm a writer. Oh, cool. What do you write? Oh, you know, books, uh, articles, all kinds of stuff. Oh, cool. Great. End of conversation. That was right. that was a nice exchange. So Scott, what do you do? Well, six hundred six thousand four hundred twenty-five days ago, I, like, hang on, let me get my let me get my slide deck and right. do my TED talk for you in four minutes, and then never talk to you again. I'm like, <laughs> and so it's I just I just say writer. I also say writer because I I'm proud of that and I like saying that and. It is the fundamental of everything I've ever done. So I'm not not a writer ever, and I can't go wrong saying that. What do you think you regret the most? Like, it doesn't seem like you live in regret very long. You, I mean, since the time I've known you, um, it doesn't seem like you do, but I imagine that you have some that something that's passed you by. Well, for sure. I mean, I, mean, I think like thematically, any regret I have is some lack of connection. So, so the category of regrets are like, oh, I stayed home that night, or oh, I didn't call this person, or oh, I traveled to Las Vegas to do this thing, but then instead of calling my friend who lives there, or instead of going to see Carrot Top. I like uh, got in and out burger and watched a movie in my hotel room. I have all these like micro regrets around like alienation and isolation because it's the biggest mistake that I make. And then, I mean, there's bigger regrets. Like I really wish I wouldn't have bought a house like four months before the market crashed. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But you know, sure. but I wanted but I was 26 and and making a lot of money and I wanted to prove to myself that I was a grown-up big boy adult. So I did it. Mm -hmm. Um I mean I I wish that I I would have been smarter at choosing a relationship that wasn't unhealthy years ago, but then again, that was a really powerful experience for better or for worse. So you know, sure. Of course you have regrets. Mm -hmm. I to me, the whole thing, it's, it's, not, it's not regret or not regret. I don't think it's a binary thing. I think mm -hmm. it's like, can we not prosecute ourselves for crimes past? It took me a long time to understand self-compassion. Actually, there's an amazing book called Self-Compassion that was transformative for me that everybody should read. And 
Yeah, so a combination of a lot of things. I learned how to kind of reframe it cognitively and to forgive myself. And there's some, there's some very basic mantras and things that I say. Like I was just saying this a minute ago, like the, the best thing you can say before you start beating yourself is, of course. So, mm. of course, you missed the train by 30 seconds. Of course, he's like, of course, you got to the interview 10 minutes early, but then realized you were uptown instead of downtown. Of course, this just happened because, of course, because you're human and, and this is life and this is part of the deal. So, like, little things like that have, have really allowed me to, to love myself anyway when I do dumb shit. Well, it seems like you had this, ex you've had an accelerated, like I said, you've, you've had like several lifetimes worth of creative sort of output. Right. And I would imagine that what that's done is it's, it's provided interfaces that maybe like most people, people who live lives that maybe aren't as accelerated as yours just don't have as many opportunities to run into the wall. You know, it's like run into this confrontation with yourself or with others where you just like took off. You know, and it sounds like from a pretty early age, you know, it's like, I'm going to make stuff. I'm going to release a, a double album, you know, and uh, right. I'm doing it for me. And that sort of aspect of you, um, you know, has probably put you into, in touch with people faster than what most people would, would have to ever deal with, you know? I never thought of that. It's beautiful. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. You know, that's why I'm here. But like, well, in, and in that regard, like what other... What other kinds of insight about humans do you think you have that that maybe some other folks who didn't decide to wear a name tag for 18 years, like what other kinds of things have you observed about our species that you think is, yeah. is really interesting? Oh, boy. Um, so here's something kind of neat. So maybe 10 years ago, I was in Sedona just taking, as I was known to do at that point in my life, go on vacation by myself for four days and talk to nobody which would seem like the right thing to do, but it's like, I worked alone. I was already talking to nobody. I don't know why I thought going on vacation for four days alone would help. Anyway, so uh, now I'm, I would never do that. But so I go to Sedona one year, I'm just kind of hanging out for a few days. And uh, I was in the car and I just switched shirts and I didn't have a name tag on. I'm like, I'll oh, screw it. I'll just, when I get to the hotel, I'll do it. Um, so I drove through like the entrance and there was the guy in the... Um, the little parking valet box. Um, and I'm like, I'm so tired. I just want to get into my room. I don't care about this guy. And he's like, name. And I said, Scott. And he goes, last name. I go, yeah, that's my last name. He goes, okay, go ahead, sir. <laughs> and I just straight up lied ab about, right. about my name, which is something I can't really do anymore and haven't done. <laughs> and I'm right. like, I take off the name tag for, for three hours because I can't reach the back seat and I'm already lying. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, man, I really needed to get one of those out there. Just, you know, cleanse the system with a nice little lie. <laughs> so, so it was. And a lie for like no real good reason. For, for just, nothing, yeah. just for nah. Cause I could. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, I, I have this theory about the relationship between anonymity and accountability. Okay. And I don't think it's new. I'm not the first person to say this, but um, yeah, I, I think wearing a name tag 24 seven has made me more honest and not, mm. not that I was dishonest before or am now. And 
you know, regardless of whatever level I started at, but the fact that I have this, it kind of paints me into an honest corner having this thing on. I'm like, they know my name. Like I'm accountable. I'm, I, it's right there on front street. So I kind of have to tell the truth. And, and I think that why the internet is so toxic is because it invites anonymity, which brings out the worst in people because there's nothing to hold them accountable. Hmm. That's why people say the internet is, you know, the bathroom stall of the digital world, because you can write anything you want on the bathroom stall and, and no one will know it was you and you can say the worst things and, and all kind of going back to why I actually do think everyone in the world should wear name tags all the time, everywhere, forever is because I think it would actually be like a catch all that would solve a ton of problems around the, the issue of honesty. You know, this podcast is mostly for leaders who are trying to get people to, you know, support them in their vision, or they want to make something new in the world, and they'd hoped that the systems they create are more, somehow more human. And so that's why we thought it would be really good to talk to you, because you have really cool insight about human beings just from your own sort of meandering, crazy experience, but also just because of who you are. Right. Um, you know, and so in, in your time of I guess, more directly in your time of dealing with people at organizations, I know you've gone and you've talked to folks and you've actually done some workshops and some other, you know, group work with uh, leaders at organizations. Was there insight you've gathered as a result of that work that you think that that is most valuable or that, that helps systems to work in a more human way? Yeah, I can think of a couple of things. I mean, you know, having done a lot of workshops and presentations with group. And also, um, you know, I've, I've had four different full-time jobs here in New York at different types of companies. And you know, I've seen a couple pretty interesting things. And one of them is, that is very recent for my current job is about energy. And there's this interesting approach to energy, which is the majority of hiring managers and, and leaders, they want to hire people that, that bring great energy. Um, whatever type of energy that may be, because um, that's important to an organization. But something that the person who interviewed me asked about, and then he and I have talked about this a lot, which is can, not only can you bring energy, but can you create energy when there is none naturally? So it's great if you're in a positive mood or if you're happy or if you're optimistic, but can you get a sense of like, man, you know, office is really down today or people are feeling this. Can you help not necessarily cheer people up? Cause I don't want to, I don't want people to think that the happiness is like always the answer, but can you create energy that infects and permeates and lifts everybody up? So it's, it's sort of a, you know, can you create the tide that rises all boats? Mm -hmm. And this is something that, I'm not quite sure I had a sense of from an operational perspective until I started really kind of working in offices and organizations and companies that that that's a thing. Not everyone cares about that. Not everyone does that. Not everyone even thinks about it, but it's important to me. And um, so I, I, I try to have a, a good sense of, of how that works. I try to think, all right, you know, not just my attitude, but taking a sense of other people's attitude and how can I connect with that? Um, and learn with that in order to sort of improve the overall system. 
do you have more gigs you know uh, outside the company where you're still spreading the the gospel of scott or like what you have a you have a book that's coming out what's next yeah um i mean i i retired from speaking full-time meaning around the time people stopped hiring me i said i retired (laughs) (laughs) that's convenient that's good timing good timing. amazing timing so i i probably give three to five speeches every year that's it um i don't need to do it i don't really want to do it but i will you know if the great opportunity comes i'll still do it so yeah occasionally i'll give a presentation um but for the most part in terms of my own projects i mean i um i got a new book coming out i'm very excited about it's called expect nothing the the book i'll I'll read the subtitle because i can't remember anything i write anymore uh it's called Expect nothing, 366 daily meditations on surrender, satisfaction, stress, and other stumbling blocks of the spirit. And um, I'm going to go record a new album probably in August. Got a bunch of new songs that I'm ready to get down on wax. And by wax, I mean digital. (laughs) Right? Uh, Digital wax. And then uh, I do a, a game show called Steal Scott's Ideas. It's a game show podcast about innovation and product development, and it's really fun, and I love doing it. It is. Uh, it's this wonderfully improv comedy sort of thing that you do along with it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big hoax, and I basically <laughs> did it as an excuse to, to see my friends more because... As we get older and as people get married and have kids and have lives and blah, 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 it's just, it's hard to see people. And especially in New York, people do all this like friendship math. What's like, oh man, you, you live in the Lower East Side, Friday at nine. I'm not going to go there. I'm not, I won't get home till two. Nah. So I, I, my wife and I, you know, we, we kind of created this project um, around, we invite people over to our house, we cook them dinner. And then we record an episode of the game show, all of us together. And it's great. It's, it's like community. It's fun. It's, it's nice to do projects that involve other people and not just me sitting in like a corner typing. So it's this co-creative thing. And my wife is like the guest star in every show. And we just act like idiots. And, and no one listens to it. And it's, it's not going to be on NPR. Ira Glass is not going to bang down my door and say, you're going to be the next serial. It's no, it's like, it's just this thing we do and, and we document it. And it's really goofy and funny and, and sort of mischievous, which I like. Scott may be onto something when it comes to his ideas about mischief. That idea of play and imagination in the human condition acts as a panacea to something like imposter syndrome. At least, it appears to have done so for Scott. It's interesting that a story about a person who would do a particular and seemingly random behavior for almost 20 years is a story about reinvention. And while wearing his name tag can be a source of eye rolls for some, Scott's diligence in his commitment to creating meaningful connections with people has led to some of the least likely and most compelling sorts of outcomes. And it's this insight that has implications for you. If you're hoping to inspire other humans to find something playful and even mischievous in their daily lives, it's an invitation to explore what's possible. I mean, what does it say about the human condition that the latest book for a person who has had Scott's adventures would be called Expect Nothing? Now, if you want to read that book or learn more about Scott and any of his latest adventures, you can check out our show notes 
or you can go to hello my name is scott.com this has been more human a production of the be human project editing and sound design by Kalise walker with art direction by steph sabo and kesson it's hosted by me jeremy newlick we record and produce this thing at our studio at big white sky a human business consultancy to subscribe to more human Search for More Human anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. And to learn more about the Be Human Project, or if you dig what you heard today, check out our website, behumanproject.net, and visit often. We love humans.